I want to tell you this morning that the, uh, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit is eternal. He has existed from time immemorial in the past and into the future. The Holy Spirit is eternal. And to accomplish life on mission, you see it on the screen there, to accomplish life on mission both personally in our lives and as a church, it is absolutely necessary that the Holy Spirit energize us. If we're out of connection with the Holy Spirit of God, we will not see the move of God in the hearts and lives of people that would spark them to build power pedestals, remodel shower trailers, take time off of work and go to Hatteras and other places to do disaster relief and pray for and share the gospel with an uncle who has who led to faith in Christ. If you've not seen the picture, and I need to put it somewhere else, but if you're friends with me on Facebook, my, what do you call it, not the profile picture, but the other picture on the wall, if you look at that picture, it's a picture of Robbie coming up out of the baptistry in the gym out there and kneeling down on the side, other side of the baptistry tub is Preston and uh, a Clay. And Preston's face just says it all. That's mad. It's amazing. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what we pray for the Holy Spirit to do in our hearts and our lives. Now, if you read through the pages of the Bible, you'll find that the Bible records the work of the Holy Spirit all throughout Scripture. You see, in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is there. You see, all throughout the pages of the Old Testament, and you see the Holy Spirit is there bringing uh, His presence to the individual lives and circumstances of people who follow God and in circumstances even of people who don't follow God. And we see Him there throughout the Old Testament. We see the Holy Spirit all throughout the life of Jesus in the New Testament. We see... Now, today, as we look at Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit poured out at the birthing and the founding and the establishing of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. I can't tell you exactly what happened on that day that we're about to talk about, the day of Pentecost. I can't tell you exactly what happened. I can't tell you exactly how it happened. What I can tell you is that it did happen and it is one of the great days in all the history of the Christian church, the founding of the church there on the day of Pentecost. On that day, the Holy Spirit came down and He changed a small group of believers from being timid and small in number to suddenly being bold and, and, and like, a, a, like a spiritual atomic bomb went off and it's still re re reverberating, if that's the right word, all throughout history, even to our world today. That is the Holy Spirit. And listen, I want to tell you this morning. The Holy Spirit is at work in every age. The Holy Spirit is at work in every circumstance. The Holy Spirit is at work including up until today. Now, how do people respond to the Holy Spirit? Some people choose to ignore the Holy Spirit. They hear the voice of the Spirit, the still small voice in their heart, in their mind, that, that, that leads them to do this or would lead them to do that, and they just simply ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, can I give you a word of testimony? I've been there and done that. I'm not proud of it. I've heard the voice of the Spirit telling me what I need to do for God, and I have ignored the voice of the Spirit. The only reason I can say that with such clarity is because everyone in this room has done exactly the same thing. Amen? Don't be too holy today. <laughs> Some ignore the Spirit. Some 
go to the other extreme and overly focus on the Spirit. They're, they're looking for the Spirit everywhere they go and every time they turn around and they blame everything on the Spirit of God. It's either the devil's fault or the Spirit's fault. One of the two. And some go chasing after the Spirit as if that is the end all when it's not the purpose and role of the Holy Spirit. There are others who are scared of the Holy Spirit. I think that's what most Baptists are. Scared of the Holy Spirit. What would happen, Al, if the Holy Spirit came down? What would happen if somebody, what would you say, get happy? What would happen if somebody got happy in a worship service? What would happen if we clap with thunderous applause when the gospel is sung by the choir or a great song is sung by the congregation? What would happen if somebody is moved to tears? What would happen if somebody sees me and I bow my head in prayer? We're kind of scared of the movement of the Holy Spirit. So we pray, even so, Lord Jesus, come and invade this place with your Spirit, but kind of look over me. I'll be sitting here under a little dome. Most believers, in my just personal opinion, most believers just simply are oblivious to the Holy Spirit. I, I really believe that, that, that many, if not most believers today, we're so, if I could choose a word that is so negative, we are so busy today that we can't hear the Holy Spirit. We're so busy today with our phone and with our TV and with the internet and with this activity and that activity. We're so busy today. If we're not careful, we can miss the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. And one day stand before God and say, Lord, I was, why didn't you speak to me? And the Lord says, why didn't you stop and listen? Well, let's explore today the necessity of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me? The necessity of the Holy Spirit. In the founding of the, of the early church, when, when the church first came into existence, it was absolutely necessary for the Holy Spirit to be there and to do that. But in our day, it is an absolute necessity that we have the presence of the Holy Spirit if we have any hope at all of living a successful Christian life personally, in our family, in our church, and in our community. Now, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, we see the promise of the Holy Spirit from Jesus. You see the words on the screen there. I want you to read those words out loud with me. These are the words of Jesus to His followers after His resurrection and before the Holy Spirit came. Let's read them together. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we think about those words still ringing in the ears of the followers of Jesus, and we fast forward to chapter 2 of Acts, and we see that in verses 1 to 4, these words of Jesus are fulfilled. Let, let me read those verses for you. Acts 2, starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Can you imagine? You're in that house and Jesus has given you this promise and you're just there and you're still a little intimidated because the, the Romans are out there and it's dangerous to be a Christian out in public and all of a sudden you start hearing it. I don't know exactly what it sounded like, but it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. Those folks down in Hatteras know what a mighty rushing wind sounds like, don't they? And you've been, if you've ever heard a hurricane, you know 
that sound. It's, it, it's, it's strong. It's, it's, it's overpowering, Al. And it, 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 is, it, it, is, it sounds like a locomotive coming. And they heard that sound and it filled the entire house. Verse 3. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them. Now can you imagine? You talk about Bertha Smith seeing the grenade coming through the window. I bet that was quite a shock. And they sat there and you said, look at each other like what is going to happen. Can you imagine sitting in a room like that circled up and all of a sudden you hear this wind. And while you don't feel the wind, you hear the wind. And what you begin to see are these tongues of fire, whatever that looked like. And they come and it says in verse there, uh, number, uh, number three, it rested on each one of them. How would, how would you be sitting there? I think I'd just be sitting there with my eyes open. What's going on here? And, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that part again. I like it. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Our Heavenly Father, today... May we focus on the necessity of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of believers now, those who will become believers. And Lord, as you founded the church, make us mindful that the same Holy Spirit that was active in that day is still active on this day. May we open our hearts and lives to you. May your Spirit come down. May we not ignore it. May we not be oblivious to it. May we not be afraid of it. May we not be too busy. Lord, may you have our attention as we give it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So on this occasion that that we're reading about, starting today, and we'll finish the second chapter of Acts next Sunday. But as we, as we look at, at what happens on this day, uh, we see that a life-changing, world-changing, history-changing event took place as the power of God came to the church and then worked through the church to impact that generation with the gospel. Now, Pentecost may be a word that, that you're familiar with, and you may not know exactly where it comes from or what it means. You may be familiar with a, a, one of the, the Christian denominations called the Pentecostals or Pentecostal holiness. And you may wonder, where does this come from? If you uh, were to look, you don't, don't need to turn there, but all the way back in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapter 23, lists several festivals or feasts that the church or that the, the people of God were supposed to observe on a regular basis. And uh, they were to display and remember God's great acts of salvation among His people. And there are three of them that I want to mention to you today. More are listed there. But three of them are appropriate to our discussion today. And uh, each of them, from a thousand or two thousand years before Jesus ever came, each of them is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do when He came to the earth. And each of them is ultimately fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus. Let me share three of them with you. Uh, For example, uh, uh, Acts 2 verse 1, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost did not begin in Acts chapter 2. 
It had already been established for a couple of thousand years because of Leviticus chapter 23. So, so, so the first of the feasts I want to mention to you from Leviticus fulfilled in Jesus is the Feast of Passover. You may be familiar with the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover took place when, when the, the people of God were in Egypt. They were enslaved. God was going to deliver them. And God, as one of the ten plagues, said to Moses to say to the people that on this certain date you're to take and you're to kill a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts of your house. And when you do so, when the death angel of God comes through, when he sees the blood of the lamb, he will pass over that house. Well, we know, and we celebrate every year around Easter, that this is a picture of the death of Jesus Christ, fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He's our Passover lamb. He fulfills and is in the role. He was offered for us so that judgment of God for our sin might pass over us. The second feast I want to point out to you there from Leviticus 23 is the Feast of First Fruits. The Feast of First Fruits. You may not be as aware of this one as you are of Passover, but at the Feast of First Fruits, the, the priest would wave a sheaf of grain, of the first fruits of grain, the first crop of the year that sprang up. The, the priest would take that and, and, and have a bundle of that, a sheaf, and would wave it before the Lord. And the purpose would be to celebrate that seeds put into the ground die and then they produce fruit. You bury it, it dies, it grows and produces fruit. And so what we see here is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know from the scripture that when the feast of first fruits takes place, it's always the day after Passover, which is a Sunday, and Jesus was raised from the dead at the feast of first fruits. Jesus uh, is pictured here. His resurrection is pictured in this feast. It's uh, uh, also in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and 21, it says this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That word is used. Jesus raised from the dead on the feast of first fruits as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. Amen to that? We see it pictured a thousand, two thousand years before, fulfilled in Jesus, and now we have the, the privilege of knowing and responding to the death, the Passover, the first fruits, the resurrection of Christ. And that brings us to now the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost simply means 50th. The 50th day after the Passover. Seven weeks. Seven weeks of sevens. Seven weeks of seven days plus one gets you to Pentecost. It's a festival expressing thanksgiving to God for the bountiful, listen to this word, harvest. A feast of thanksgiving to God for the harvest. The grain was, was due. The, the crops are being brought in. This takes place in June. May or June every year. And so, so it, it celebrates the harvest, 50 days after uh, first fruits and Passover. It is a day of rest from labor. It is a holy gathering in Jerusalem. And people from all over, Jews from all over, would flock to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And, uh, and when they got there, uh, there was a feast of thanksgiving. And part of the rules were to invite the poor, to invite the stranger, 
and to invite the Levites all to come to the feast. Everybody is invited because the harvest has been collected. Everybody is invited because we're out to gather the harvest. Everybody is invited because the harvest is for every single person. Now, during the, the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost, the priest would present, among other things, two loaves of bread. Using the, the first fruits, if you will, of the harvest at the season of Pentecost, the priest would offer to God two loaves of bread. And it may not make any sense to them back then. It may not make any sense to a lot of people. But what we see in looking back through the lens of the cross is that the people of the day were, were in, in two categories. There were the Jews who were God's people and there was the Gentiles who's everybody else. You have two loaves of bread offered up to God from the time of the harvest. And now we see with Jesus, the Jews and the Gentiles come together as the one people of God. Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This is the Lord's Supper speaking of. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. There were two loaves in the Feast of Passover, of Pentecost. Now there's one bread, and that one bread is the body of Jesus bringing all Jews and all Gentiles the message of the gospel to all people that they can come. And so the harvest is now uh, available. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 13. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. There is now one loaf. There is one spirit. There is, there is one gospel available to Jews and Greeks. That is the Jews and the Gentiles, everyone in the world. So that being said, we recognize now that, that on the day of Pentecost, this coming of the Holy Spirit of God, I want us to notice for a few moments the five signs that are given here of the presence of the Spirit on that day, on this day of Pentecost, celebrated after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. First of all, notice this, as we mentioned it earlier, they heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind. There's this sound. And I don't know exactly how to say it. I don't know whether to just get up here close. Is, am I on right here? Cut me on real quick right here. Sorry about that. Maybe it was something like that. I don't know. You can turn it off now. That's... But can you imagine a sound that was that noticeable, that and then just sustained right where you are? And you know that sound. It's the sound of a wind, but it's magnified a hundred times and you feel no wind. It's just a noise. Wind is a symbol and a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse number 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit is like the wind. We, we hear the wind, we see the effects of the wind, but we don't see the wind itself. And just like we may, we may look on the weather channel and see where it's coming from, where it's going, ultimately we just notice it and we see it. We see the effects of it. That's how the Spirit of God is at work. Acts chapter 2 and verse 2. Suddenly there came from heaven 
a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And notice what it did. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. They were sitting there and suddenly everywhere in the house, the sound of the wind. Notice, secondly, they saw the appearance of tongues as of fire. Not actual fire, but tongues as of fire. There was the, it was the appearance. And, and in the Old Testament especially, we see that fire is a symbol and a sign of, of the presence of God. Think about Moses when he saw the burning bush. And, and the bush was burning, but it was not what? It was not consumed. It was a, some sort of a fire, something you could see, but the bush itself was not burned. The, the, the fire representing the presence of holy God. Remember a little while later when, when God was leading the, the Israelites out into the desert. By, by day there was a pillar of smoke and by night there was a pillar of fire so they could see and, and know the presence of God was there. We know from the scriptures that God's uh, presence as fire is, is a burning holiness and purity that consumes everything that is impure. God is like fire. And we get that picture. And it is fire that came in as tongues of fire, uh, indicating that the burning holiness of God was now upon the speech of each of those in that room. That was crazy, wasn't it? You just imagine visually what that must have looked like. Verse 3 of Acts 2. Divided tongues of fire, as of fire appeared to them. And notice what it did. It rested on each one of them. It just came to rest. What did that? Did it like sit on the shoulder and you could see it? You could see it on my shoulder and I could see it on your shoulder? Was it like over their head? Was it? Well, we don't know other than it, it rested on each one of them, whatever that looked like in that moment. Thirdly, notice this. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let's talk just for a moment about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, and there are many things in the Bible uh, that, that are, are pointed to the Holy Spirit and through which God works in the Holy Spirit to, to impact our lives, to impact our churches, to impact our families, and to impact our communities and our world. For example, the Holy Spirit, we're told, convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. When you feel the convicting in your heart, it's not the pastor, it's not the music, it is the Holy Spirit presence of God. And that's why we need to be careful not to ignore it, not to be oblivious to it, uh, not, to, not to be scared of it, but to recognize this is the convicting power and presence of God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also, the Bible says, draws believers. No one comes to Christ unless he is drawn by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit also seals believers. There's a, there's, a, there's a spiritual mark that we can't see that is stamped onto our soul by the Holy Spirit when we become believers in Christ so that when we get to heaven, nobody has to wonder, is he or she a believer or is he or she not a believer? No, we've got the seal of the Holy Spirit in our soul. The Holy Spirit also bears fruit in our lives. Beautiful passage in Galatians chapter 5. The Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All these things are fruits of the Holy Spirit that is present in the life of the believer that is tuned in to the Holy Spirit. You might say, well, those things aren't present in my life. Well, either the Bible is a lie or you're not a believer or you're not walking with the Lord like you ought to. The Bible also says the Holy Spirit gives gifts. He gives us gifts and abilities, spiritually endowed power from God to do that which we cannot do on our own. 
to serve Him, to, to testify to Him, things that we can't ordinarily do, so that when these things happen, people have to look at us and say, well, the only explanation I've got is Jesus has done this. The Holy Spirit also guides, He comforts, He empowers, He baptizes, and He fills. Just for a quick moment, let me, mention, let me focus on those last two, baptizing and filling. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. It seems to be quite controversial, but it's pretty clear in the Scriptures exactly what that is. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 1, in verse number 8, it says, uh, it says this about Jesus. John the Baptist said uh, about Jesus, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. To baptize, to immerse under, to immerse in, to be immersed into something else is to be baptized. And so the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, John the Baptist says in other places, that when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are baptized into the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is baptized into us. We become one with Christ. We become in union with Christ. We become saved from our sins. We become a part of the family of God. There's a spiritual thing that takes place that we can't see visually with our eyes, but it takes place in our soul where the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us and seals us, as we mentioned earlier, for the day of salvation. So the Holy Spirit it is who baptizes us, but also the Holy Spirit fills us. Baptizing in the Holy Spirit happens one time. It happens when you become a believer and a follower of Christ. You receive the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, you receive all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. Somebody said, well, I don't feel the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I have the Holy Spirit. And I've heard it said in response. It's not a question of whether, it's not a question of how much of the Holy Spirit you have. The question is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? When we get saved, when Jesus comes in, we get baptized into the Holy Spirit. We are baptized into the family of God by the Holy Spirit once and for all. And then as we yield ourselves to Him, then there are seasons of the filling of the Holy Spirit. There, there are those times, Al, when, when we sing songs and we just, the, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. You ever, you, ever, you ever known that before? Just raise your hand. A little testimony time. Just raise your hand real quick. You felt and know the presence of the Lord. I've been there. I've done that. It is an amazing thing. It could be the same thing that happens week in and week out, but all of a sudden the Spirit shows up in, in one person's life or in the whole place. And that's the feeling of the Holy Spirit. In, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, it says, Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That, 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 uh, 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 the case there, the, the usage in the language, literally means in English, be being filled continuously with the Holy Spirit. You're already baptized, but as you go about your life, be being filled with the Spirit every single day. How do you do that? When you open the Bible and you read it. That's why it's so important to stay in God's Word. When you pray and you, and you come to God with, with, with adoration and confection, uh, conviction and confession and thanksgiving and, and you pray for others, when you do that, then, then you are, are, are opening yourself to be being filled with the Spirit. When you avoid the things that God says are immoral and are wrong, then you put yourself in a position to be being filled with the Spirit. When you participate in the life of the church, when you participate in serving 
serving God, when you participate in sharing the, the message with others, you are putting yourself in a position to be being filled with the Spirit. So if you say, well, Pastor Mark, I'm, I know I'm saved. Now I've felt the Spirit in my life in the past. It's been so long. It's been so long. I think maybe the Spirit has forgotten where I am. I'll tell you, He hasn't. Because He's right there where you are. But you know, if you'll put yourself in position to be being filled with the Spirit, it's amazing what God can do in your life. The Holy Spirit gives us power for witness and power for service. And when we put ourselves in position for witness and service, that's when the Holy Spirit gives us His presence and His power. Let's look fourthly. They began to speak in other languages. I know right now I just made half of you scared. The other half didn't hear me. (laughs) Speaking in tongues is a very controversial thing. And I'm not about to preach a message on that this morning. There's not a time. Glad to do it at some other point. But notice verse number 4 of Acts 2. When the Holy Spirit came and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These other tongues there, in the context of this passage of Scripture, the other tongues there are known languages. They're known languages. What was happening is the disciples who were from Galilee were in Jerusalem and people from all over the known world had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost and the Spirit had come upon the, the believers and all they went out in the, in the streets and they just began telling the great things of God. Verse 11, it says, they were telling the mighty works of God. That's what they were doing. They were stopping people on the street and saying, Sir, can I tell you what God has done in my life? Ma'am, could you take just a moment and let me tell you what God has done and what God is doing? And as people would, would stop, they would tell them about the Old Testament. They would tell them about the Spirit. They would tell them about Jesus, about the Passover, and about the first fruits. And now at Pentecost, how the harvest has come. And as they were telling them in their distinctively uh, Galilean dialect, the people that were listening were hearing it in their own language. And they were, they were stopping in their tracks because it was very obvious that, that they were hearing something that was supernatural. It was not normal. It was, not the, it, it was unlike anything they had ever heard. And it says here they did this as the Spirit gave them utterance. How did they do this? They didn't go and take a crash course on how to speak all the languages of the known world. It says the Spirit did it. The Spirit gave them the ability to do that in, in their own minds. It doesn't say this, but in their own minds, it could be. They were just speaking the words they knew to speak. They were sharing what they knew to share. They were, they were just talking to, to others like I'm talking to you in a, in a southern USA, northern Durham dialect of English. People were hearing it from the native language where they were from. It, it, it harkens back to, to the Tower of Babel. We talked about that over the summer. Back at the Tower of Babel, uh, we know that, that, that the people of God had stayed and they would not disperse as God commanded them. So God sent a confusion of language that, that made the people disperse out into the four corners of the world. That's Babel, Genesis. But now we see here in Acts, at the Feast of Pentecost, all the people of God that were spread out in the known world had all come back and they brought their languages with them. And they were all in Jerusalem. And, and if you've ever been to, to a place where lots of international people were, like, like the mall or at Walmart or other places like that, then there are the, all these different languages 
being spoken and you're walking around and you're, you're listening for somebody that speaks my language so I can find out where's the best restaurant to eat while I'm visiting Jerusalem. Where is it I can, I can take my camel and, and get him brushed down real good for a good price. And you're, you're listening for all those things, but all you're hearing is gibber and jabber because all these other languages are there and they're all crowded onto the streets of Jerusalem. And suddenly you hear your language and you stop. And people around you are stopping and these people are working their way through the crowd and, and, and there's, this, there's this noise that's going on and, and people are, are sharing one after the other what God has done and they're telling the great things of God and they're hearing it in their own language at Pentecost. So in Genesis, the people were forced to spread out because of a dispersion of languages. At Pentecost, the people who are dispersed are coming back to uh, Jerusalem and they're hearing in their own languages. And it demonstrates to us that the message of the gospel is for all people. We see that from the earliest pages of the Bible. The message of the gospel is for all people. The, the danger and the problem so often is that we want to isolate the message and not take it out. Well, God will get the message out. And here at Pentecost, He's bringing everybody from the known world to Jerusalem, and they're hearing this wonderful message of the gospel in their own language, indicating that at the time of the harvest, for the Jews and the Gentiles, the message of the gospel is for you, whoever you are. It's a reminder of that great passage in Revelation chapter 7 in heaven. It's a great passage. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. John says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, listen to this, from every nation, all tribes and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in a white robe with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Sometimes, Al, it gets loud. Sometimes it just gets loud. Is it okay if it gets loud sometimes? And they were crying, I want you to cry out loud with me. Can you do that? Look at the word. It says salvation belongs to our God. Let's say that together loud. That's just a good loud. Ready? Here we go. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Woo! That's going to happen in heaven one day. And it's all because of the Holy Spirit. We have a question today. I put it in your listening guide. I want to be real clear about what this question is, what it means for us. Because every time we look at the Scripture and we say, what happened then, that's great. But a sermon is not a history lesson. It is a, this is what it means now. And we as a church are at a crossroads. We as a church are in a time of transition. As is every church in our nation, as things in our culture are changing and transitioning so swiftly and so quickly, it's almost blinding how quickly things are changing with technology and with culture. And, and you can know if you've been around Durham much of your life, you know, a, a generation or two ago, uh, the things were pretty much the same all around. And now it seems like because of Duke or because of the Research Triangle Park or because of that great University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill or because of anything else, the things that are going on around here, it's amazing how the world is coming to us. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? I mean, the world is coming to us. And have you noticed that, that in neighborhoods around Ridgecrest Baptist Church, have you noticed that there are folks that they, they, excuse my English, they ain't from around here? Do we believe God does things like that? And then gives us the opportunity and the responsibility 
Just like he did at, at, at Pentecost when he brought the world to Jerusalem so they could hear the message of Jesus. Could it be that God has brought people from around the world to this area and then, and then he says to us, now go out and tell them? So our question is, how are we at Ridgecrest reaching the cultural diversity within our mission field of the northern Durham area? How are we doing and how do we need to be doing? Because just as the world came to Jerusalem at Pentecost, the world is coming to this area. And, uh, and I think God has given us a great opportunity. I hope that we can pray that the Spirit of God will use us to reach them. Well, lastly, um, on that day, they made an international impact. They made a splash. I mean, it was a big splash. What I will call an international impact. Start with me at verse 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. And that doesn't mean living in Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem for the feast. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, this is the sound of the mighty rushing wind. The multitude came together. People were walking out in the street saying, what's that noise? What's that noise? It sounds like a wind, but, but the air is still. And so that's what got them out in the streets. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them the disciples speak in his own language, the listener who is from another part of the world. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? I see this guy in front of me and he's talking. He looks like a fisherman from Galilee. Well, what, how do you know somebody's from Galilee? By how they talk and how they dress and how they compose themselves. How do you know somebody's from Durham, North Carolina? How they dress and how they talk and how they compose themselves. So the amazing thing was that somebody heard in their own exact dialect a language coming from somebody that won't from around there. In verse 8, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? How does that take place? How does that happen? Have you ever been to another country or you talk to somebody who's from another country here and they speak really good English, but you know they ain't from around here? That's what they were expecting. But what they got instead was exactly perfect dialect of their native language. Then there's a, there's a list of nations that may, might mean little to us, but they represent the known world at that time. Uh, the, there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. In other words, everybody from everywhere was here in Jerusalem and they were hearing all together people speaking and telling the mighty works of God. Well, what happened then that can also take place now among the lives of the believers. Well, the believers on that day, they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. So we can pray, oh God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. And if you're honest, and it's okay to be honest, Lord, I'm afraid of that, but I'm going to pray it anyway. And Lord, I'm going to do the things that would open my life up to the Holy Spirit of God working in me. Three things that were true of them that also need to be true of us. One is... They were willing to speak. I believe they were compelled to speak by the Holy Spirit, but they were also very willing to speak. How willing are we to go out into our, our workplaces and schools? And how willing are we to go into our homes and to sit down with folks that we know and love and to share with them the great 
things of God, the mighty works of God, including Jesus and salvation. That's what happened in, in verse 11. They were willing to do that. We need to be willing to do it as well. Also, it says they were, they were willing to engage the interest of the people. That's important. They were willing to see people interested and then to engage them in conversation and talk with them. Verse 12, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Anytime people will, will listen to what's going on and what God is doing, and they'll say to you, what does this mean? Is a beautiful open door to sit down and to tell them, this is what this means. What does it mean when Robbie Andrews got baptized at Ridgecrest Baptist Church? I knew Robbie over here. I knew Robbie over there. I can't believe this is happening in his life. What does this mean? Well, let me tell you what this means. It's a willingness to share that. And then a willingness also to endure ridicule. So often, I think the largest, the biggest obstacle to us as believers to sharing our faith with someone else is our aversion to being ridiculed. We're afraid somebody's going to make fun of us. We're afraid somebody's not going to believe us. There in verse 13, all this is happening. The Spirit is moving. People are hearing in their own language. And God is being glorified. But there were some. There were some. Verse 13. Others mocking. They were mocking what was going on. And they said, they are filled with new wine. They're just a bunch of drunks. When you and I, just like the men and women of days gone by, are operating and functioning in the Spirit of God, people will look at us and they'll, give all, they'll, they'll make any excuse to excuse it. Because they don't want to know. They don't want to hear. They don't, they, don't wanna, they don't want anything to come into their lives. Any excuse will do when you're looking for an excuse. And they just simply said, here it is, 9 o'clock in the morning, a bunch of drunks out on the street. I can't believe it. And the disciples were willing to endure that and many other things because to tell of the mighty works of God was more important than anything that would ever happen to them. I pray that I would be willing to endure all of that. And I pray that we would as a church as well. And we may be coming to a day when that may be required and necessary of us because of our faith. God is bigger. Amen? God is bigger. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing as we always do a hymn of invitation. And the invitation, as always, is to do something about the message that you've heard. Do something about the spirit that you felt move in your heart. Don't ignore it. Don't be oblivious to it. Don't walk away but to do whatever it is God's called of you. Is it to take that stand? Is it to speak to that loved one, that, that friend or that other person? Whatever it might be, would you take that next step of faith and obedience, whatever it might be in your life? Rodney, I'm going to ask you to come stand down here at the front if you would. And as we sing this last song, as Rodney's here, you come and you speak to him. He'll be glad to encourage you, offer you a word of prayer, and then we'll close out the service. Uh, at the service is concluded, you... You be sure to do whatever it is God speaks to you about today. And if it's just simply a stirring in your soul, then ask the question, Lord, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? Lord, what does this mean? What can I do? And be anxious and enthusiastic to respond to the movement of God in your life. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, would you remind us that our world will not be reached by our own efforts. The world will not be reached when all we do is criticize it. The world will not be reached when we separate ourselves from it. 
And the world will not be reached when we conform to it. Lord, I pray today that we will determine to live a life on mission. That we'll recognize the necessity of the Holy Spirit in the days of the early church, but also in our day and in each of our lives. Lord, I pray you teach us and show us the necessity of the Holy Spirit. I pray today that the wind of the Holy Spirit would blow into our lives and into our church. I pray, Lord, that the fire of the Holy Spirit would set us on fire to tell others the good news of the gospel of Jesus. I pray that we may tell of the mighty works of God in every possible way, in every circumstance that you would would put us in. And I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would bring people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, around every corner of our world to know and respond and follow Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.